Welcome to People's Church. Before we get to this week's message with Pastor Tom Murray, we want you to know that you matter to your Heavenly Father and you matter to us. People's Church is a multi-generational faith community in Salem, committed to knowing Christ and making Him known. Sunday morning worship services at our Salem campus are at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Watch messages anytime and plan your visit at peopleschurch.com. We pray this practical biblical teaching is encouraging, challenging, and possibly even life-changing. Early 1900s, so about 120 years ago, there was a boy named Abraham who grew up in New York City. He was the son of an immigrant. His father came from Kiev, which is now in Ukraine. Abraham, the oldest of seven children, By his own description, not a great childhood, in fact, an awful childhood. Abraham described his father as mostly absent and describes his mother as selfish and hostile. Abraham was from a working class family. There was not much money, so unhealthy family, poverty. When it came to God, Abraham was bullied for being part of a Jewish family. He also saw great hypocrisy in what was between what was taught in the synagogue and how life was lived in his home. So at age 13, the age of bar mitzvah, the rite of passage for Jewish boys, Abraham decided that that was the moment that he would abandon his, the religion of his family tradition. The Abraham we're talking about is Abraham Maslow. Maslow would become the research psychologist and professor who gave us what we know as the hierarchy of needs, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. How did his childhood inform the research that he would eventually do? We're not sure. Maybe you remember this pyramid from your middle school, high school, or college psychology class. At the bottom of the pyramid, physiological needs, food, water, warmth, rest, Safety needs, security and safety, working up the triangle to physiological needs like intimate relationships, friends, accomplishing things, then self-fulfillment like the ability to reach potential, to express yourself creatively. And the basic concept of the triangle is that as you work your way from the bottom up that you will not be motivated to go for something higher on the triangle until whatever is met first. So if you don't have food, water, and shelter, you will not pursue safety and security. People are unlikely, according to this, to go after love, friendship, and accomplishments, and creative expression until their most basic needs are met. Now, there's been criticism over the decades because people say the hierarchy of of needs, the triangle, even Maslow actually never made the triangle. Somebody added the triangle later. Uh, But the criticism is too individualistic that it doesn't take into uh, account outside factors. Why are we talking about this today? All these decades later, when nonprofits, when government organizations, policymakers, when they talk about human needs, All these years later, people still point time and time again to the hierarchy of needs to illustrate basic human needs. So if this is the concept that society works with to understand human needs, for those of us who are people of faith and we see the world through the lens of our relationship with Jesus Christ, here's the question. What is the human need for Jesus? 
What is the human need for Jesus? Well, the Bible that I read says, contains the word where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is forgiveness for thoughts, words, and actions that are against God called sin. Jesus is forgiveness of sin. Jesus is restored relationship for imperfect people to a perfect, loving, heavenly Father. What is the human need for Jesus? And for those of us who are followers of Christ today, the question that we must wrestle with, what are we going to do to make sure that the human need for Jesus is accessible to be met by every person on this planet? It is Miracle Offering Sunday. If you have been with us, this is not a surprise to you. We've been talking about it for a few weeks leading up to today. And at the end of the uh, service, our, the end of our gathering today, we are going to receive our miracle offering. If you are visiting, we want you to know this is not something we do every Sunday. In fact, since I've been here, we've never done it like this before. So praise God for taking chances. <laughs> if you're visiting, there's no pressure to participate. In fact, there's no pressure for anyone to participate. So let me just go ahead and quickly take that load off of your shoulders. Miracle offering, we want you to know, is sent out. It's not for this place. It is sent out to reach the lost, plant churches where there are no churches, train the next generation of leaders, and to serve suffering people with the compassion of Jesus. If you are new today, we want you to know that you have stepped into a generous church. So we prayerfully, in speaking with our missions partners all over the world. We said, what would be a project that you have where we could come alongside you? And before the end of the year, what would be a project that we could come alongside you and help you meet that goal? And when we totaled up all of the asks that came in from our global partners, we set a goal of $1,492,295. Oh, it's a big number. And I prayed, my private prayer was, Father, would you lead us in generosity so that by the time we got to Miracle Offering Sunday, Father, would you lead this church in generosity so that by the time we get to Miracle Offering Sunday, could we already be above $1 million so that in the final month and a half of the year that we could close the gap beginning with Miracle Offering Sunday. And so, praise God, today I get to report to you, church, that year to date, Kingdom Builders, over and above uh, our tithe and offering, we are at Kingdom Builders, $1 million $3,985.25. And we are believing that as we all respond in generosity, that we can close that gap and we can meet the goal that God has given us. And let me just say this, uh, we've talked about it before, generosity is not a dollar number. Generosity is a heart condition. Generosity is a heart condition. And we are believing that as each of us responds in generosity, that God will, through our church family, help us to meet that goal. Leading up to today, many of us have been praying that God will enable us to bring our best offering of the year today. We also know, I don't know if this is for one person or if it's for many, but we know that there are those in our church family, and, and you thought, I really would like to be a participant in Miracle Offering Sunday. But when I look at the numbers, they don't make sense. Now, Jennifer carries this burden for our family. She is the family accountant. 
And sometimes we look at the numbers and we're like, I don't even know if there's another dollar to bring. How, I want to be involved in Miracle Offering Sunday, but I just don't know where it's going to come from. So we, over the last several weeks, have been specifically praying for the one or the many who have, who have said, I want to be part of Miracle Offering Sunday, but I don't know where it's going to come from. We have been praying that if that is your heart, if you have a willing heart, that God will have put something in your hands to bring today. And it could be an unexpected extra. Thank God for unexpected extras. It could be a bonus, a raise, a refund, a dividend, an inheritance, a savings, or a forgiveness of a bill that you thought you were going to have to pay. And, and it's been your prayer. Father, put something in my hands that I could bring for Miracle Offering Sunday. And whatever that extra came in, you knew that's what God had done. God gave me this to be a courier to bring this for Miracle Offering Sunday. It's not about God needing our money. He is God and he has all the available resources of the universe. In fact, he created them. It is about our Heavenly Father inviting us to be part of his purposes. It's an invitation to be part of his purposes. What does Jesus say about what happens in heaven when one sinner repents? There's rejoicing in heaven. The angels celebrate in heaven when one sinner repents. Well, in God's wisdom, he has chosen the church to be the instrument that would carry the gospel to the nations. So he invites us to be part of seeing sinners repent. God does the saving. God is the one who gives forgiveness of sin. He invites us to be carriers of the message. And how exciting is this? That we get to see people who are spiritually lost be saved by a loving Heavenly Father who sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And if they're celebrating in heaven, there should be celebrating here on earth. What we're about to see is that Jesus Himself will teach us that in his view, the need for him, the need for Jesus, is the most essential human need. From Jesus' own words, and this, is, this can be really difficult for us to get our minds around. From Jesus' own words, we see that he teaches that the need for Jesus is the most essential of all human needs more than creative expression, more than relationships, more than friendships, more than safety, more than security, more than even food, water, and air. When it comes to eternity, there is no more essential need than Jesus Christ. Now, with that in the back of our minds, and we'll unpack that in Scripture in just a second, according to the Joshua Project, 42.5% of the world's population is still considered unreached. 42.5%. That means that they do not have access. There are 42.5% of the world's population does not have access to a community of believers like we have here at this church. 42.5% of the world's population has not received an adequate witness, an adequate understanding of the message of Jesus Christ to make a decision for themselves about whether or not they are going to choose Jesus. So as we'll see in a minute, if we believe what Jesus teaches, that the most essential of all human needs is relationship with Jesus Christ. And we match that with the research that tells us that 42.5% of the world's population is unreached. That means that the most essential human need today, as we gather here in Salem, Oregon today, the most essential human need is unmet today in 42.5% of the world's population. 
If we take Jesus at his word, the most important essential human need relationship with him, more than four out of every 10 people on this planet today do not have access to the most essential of all human needs. John chapter four records the historical event. Uh, one of the most uh, famous conversations in all of world history, it records the encounter that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman at the well. In fact, that most people who aren't even Christians know at least a part of the story of the woman at the well. And if you're a person who is in favor of crossing cultural barriers, if you are a person who is in favor of overcoming racial tension, this is a great moment in world history. Missionaries today, they cross more than international borders. Missionaries cross cultural borders. They cross racial barriers to build relationships and share Christ. 2,000 years ago, Jews simply did not interact with Samaritans. Jews even avoided travel through areas where there were Samaritan populations. The Jewish people considered Samaritan people a less than race. And 2,000 years later, we wish that we could say that problems with racism were all in our past, but sadly they are not. Throughout the time that Jesus walked the earth in public work, Jesus elevated people and populations who others suppressed. Jesus elevated people who were pushed to the sidelines by society and by culture. So here is this Samaritan woman at the well. And what is she doing at the well? She is gathering water for the day. She is there at the well to meet one of the most basic of all physical needs. The human body's need for water. And Jesus says, John 4, 13 through 14, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Jesus could have been pointing to the well, saying that everyone who drinks this water, pointing down to the water in the well, or if she'd already filled her buckets, the, uh, or a bucket, pointing to the water in her bucket. Anyway, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Jesus says, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And I love the honest reactions of the Bible. The woman responds the way that a lot of us would have responded. She said, I'm not fully sure what you're talking about, but I want whatever it is that you just talked about. And then she makes a profound statement. As Jesus is explaining some of these spiritual concepts, she says, I know the Messiah is coming, the Christ. She has enough theological background, enough roots in the what we would call the Old Testament, the Holy Scriptures. She says, I know enough to understand that the Messiah is coming, the Christ. And Jesus says, right here in front of you, the Messiah that you have been anticipating the Christ that the scriptures forecast is standing right in front of you. Jesus uses a moment where this woman is meeting a physical need, water, to help her understand a spiritual need, her need for a restored relationship with her heavenly father. Meeting physical need creates a path to meet spiritual need, still true today. Jesus says this water 
the water in your bucket, the water in the well, you're going to be thirsty again. You're going to have to come back tomorrow for more water. But there is a different water, a life water, and it's not in the well, it's not in your bucket. It's me standing right in front of you. And, and once the need that I can meet is met in you, there is a thirst of the soul that will, you will never have to go after again. That thirst will be satisfied. What's true then is true now. Once that need for reconciliation with your heavenly father is met through Jesus Christ, you don't have to continue searching. It's met once and for all. Once you choose to place your faith in Jesus Christ, you don't have to seek him again tomorrow. Yes, we pursue Jesus in a desire for our character to be more like his character, to become more like Jesus in the way that we live. But once we are forgiven in our sin, by the blood of Jesus Christ, it's settled. The woman is so moved. What, what does she do? What does she do? She goes and she tells everybody in the whole city, it's so good, John 4, 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. The Samaritan woman is such an unlikely missionary. She was likely shunned and shamed in her city because she had five husbands. And as Jesus points out to her, the man that you're living with now is not your husband. Yet she is the one who, whom, who, whom, English teachers, she is the one who, who or whom God uses to tell everyone in the city about Jesus. Do not let anyone tell you that your past disqualifies you from being used by God. Meeting a physical need creates a path for spiritual need. Another example, if your Bible is open or if you're following along in your app today, if you swipe over a few pages or flip over a few pages to John chapter 6, this is, again, an event that many people, even many non-Christians know about, the feeding of the 5,000. It was actually probably many more than 5,000 because the way they counted back then, it was just the men, so there's women and children, so it's the feeding of the thousands. We know the story that... In faith, the boy offers his couple fish, the few pieces of bread, and Jesus multiplies it, and thousands and thousands of people eat. To understand the significance of the feeding of the 5,000, you cannot end with the, the food, the meal. You have to read on to the rest of the story because what happens next helps us to understand the magnitude of what happened. The, those people who were miraculously fed by Jesus, what happened the next day? What happened the next day? Well, the same thing happened to them, which happens to us the day after we eat amazing meals. Maybe you go to your favorite restaurant, you order your favorite menu item, or you go to grandma's house, or you go to your relative's house, or your friend's house, and they make you that, they make that food that you love. And you eat until you cannot eat anymore, and then you take a little bit more. And you stuff yourself to the point of Discomfort. Now, gluttony, another message for another day. But you're so hungry, you're so full. You go home, you've had your favorite meal, and then you go to sleep. And what happens though when you wake up the next morning? No matter how much you ate yesterday, you are hungry again the next day. So these people, 
are hungry the next day and they want to eat again. And you have to remember, we have to keep in mind that eating then is a lot different than how we eat today. There were no drive-throughs, there were no buffets, there were no grocery stores, there were no refrigerators or freezers. If you wanted to eat today, you had to slaughter the animal, you had to harvest the crop from your own backyard, you had to start a fire to cook your food. Eating was a big deal, a lot of effort. And so they're waking up. Yesterday, I didn't have to do any of that. We went and we listened to this teaching of, from Jesus and then we ate until we couldn't eat no more. A lot of us would have the same reaction. That was a lot easier than what we usually do. I want that again. Where is the man who provided that? And the Bible tells us that they actually crossed the sea to find Jesus and they tracked him down. We're hungry again. And what happens next is a great conversation about spiritual truth, a tense conversation about spiritual truth. And is it possible, church, that Jesus fed the 5,000, the thousands and thousands that day? Is it possible that Jesus fed the thousands that day so that the day after he could have this teaching about meeting spiritual need? John 6, 27, do not work for the food that perishes, Jesus tells the crowd, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. The crowd is hungry, they're asking for a miracle, this is a crowd with a Jewish background, a Jewish heritage. They know the scriptures. They know that there was once a time in their history when manna came down from heaven. After they were miraculously brought out of Egypt before they entered the promised land, God delivered food every day, manna from heaven. And so they're thinking, is this that all over again? Is this going to happen every day? And so they're asking for this miracle. Jesus says, John 6, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In verse 34, it's like they're saying, I don't know how, however you want to explain it, just we want to eat again. Sir, give us this bread. And the Bible says actually, sir, give us this bread always. Keep it coming. However we ate yesterday, make it happen again today and, and always. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. When you read this, the crowd is not, it takes them a while to catch on. True for us today. It takes us a while to catch on. They cannot disconnect, or they're struggling to disconnect from their physical need to eat. Jesus, what he is doing through this conversation, through this teaching, Jesus is connecting the hunger they feel in their stomach with the hunger that he desires for them to have for reconciled relationship with God. Now, I actually told, I talked about you to the service that meets at 8.30 and the gathering that happens at 10 o'clock. I talked about you who gather here for the 11.30 service. I told them that by the time it gets to right now, about between 12 and 12.30, that I can sometimes actually see the hunger on your faces. So you're like, I, I, I can connect with these people. It's getting to be lunchtime. Let's go, Tom. So 
We understand the need for food, how we think about food when we're hungry, how desperately we think for food in that moment. And Jesus is using that longing for that satisfaction through food to help them understand a spiritual truth. Do you know that it is estimated in this country, the United States of America, there are 34 million people, 34 million people who are experiencing food insecurity. Food insecurity. Among those 34 million, 9 million are children. Food insecurity is lacking consistent access to enough food every day for every person in the house to live a healthy, thriving life. Maybe that's your story today. Maybe no one else knows. Maybe you're too afraid to say anything, but you, there's a struggle and you are not consistently, you do not have consistent access to food for everyone in your household to lead a thriving life. Maybe if it's not today, maybe it's been you at one point in your life history. You know what it's like to not have enough food in the house. So a question that we can ask or you might be asking is, well, do you, do you even care about that? If Jesus is more essential than food and water, do we even care about physical needs? Yes, we care about physical needs being met because Jesus cares about physical needs being met. In fact, Jesus had this to say about his followers who see a physical need, have the ability to respond, but ignore the need. Matthew 25, verses 42 and 43, for I was hungry, Jesus says, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Do we care about meeting physical needs? We do because Jesus cares about meeting physical needs. We are a food share partner here in our area, one of 14 food share partner sites. Last week we served 400 people who came in search of food. We're grateful. We're grateful for the Dream Team volunteers who take part in that. Does that mean that between us and the other food share sites that food insecurity is solved in Salem? It's not. It's not. Our hearts are heavy for those who struggle with food insecurity. And also we ask the question that if today our hearts are heavy for those who are going through food insecurity, where are our hearts for those who have eternal insecurity. Back to the conversation that Jesus has with the hungry crowd, John 6, 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The bread that I will give, so we know that bread is a sustainer of life. That's the illustration here. I know some of you keto people have difficulty getting your mind around this. I say bread and you think carbs. and all. Jesus says the bread. So we, we understand food is life sustaining. So he says the, the life giving that is going to occur, that the, the life giving that happens that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, in the moment that Jesus says this, it would not have even made sense to those who were his closest followers in many ways. Because he hasn't yet suffered and died on the cross when he teaches this. 
But John, who is the author of this gospel, John is the one who would later write this gospel and he can remember, oh, that's what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the giving of his flesh because in the time that would follow after this, Jesus would allow his body to be pierced, his flesh to be pierced, his blood to be shed for the hope of the world. So if we trust the words of Jesus that were spoken to the woman at the well and the crowd that was hungry the day after the feeding of the thousands, to be without Jesus is to live without the most basic human need. Without food and water, there will be a physical death. Without Jesus, there is an eternal death. What is the most essential? What is the human need for Jesus? More essential for eternity than food and water. I'm wrestle with as I run my life through this filter. Am I living as if Jesus is more essential than food and water? Do I go after Jesus with the same intensity that I would pursue food and water if there was a day that I did not have food or water? And the question for those of us who are followers of Christ today, those of us who have the life-giving water of relationship with Jesus Christ, those of us who know the bread of heaven, what are we going to do to make sure that every person on the planet has access to the most essential human need? Responding to local and global spiritual starvation is the responsibility of the church. Is that a big word to use, starvation? Well, it's Jesus himself who compared to be without him as to lack food and water. So there are still millions of people on this planet who do not have access to the most essential human need. These are spiritually starved people groups of the world. Spiritual hunger is local and it is global. As we prepare today for our Kingdom Builders Miracle Offering, I want to lay this out to you, give you transparency. I think of this like if you see those charts where there's a question and it's like if the answer is yes, you go on this path and there's another question. If it's yes, you go on this path. If it's no, you go on this path. Yes, this way. So it's like we answer yes and then what? If we answer no, then stop. So when it comes to responding, we talked about how generosity is a heart condition. So the question before we talk about any amount to bring is a motivation question. Second Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the, the question is really, are, do you come with the attitude of a cheerful giver? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, I'm not there yet. We had a guest speaker who talked to our team a couple weeks ago that said if you can't come as a cheerful giver, it's actually better in God's view just to leave it in your pocket. No pressure. But if the answer is yes, I come with the heart of a cheerful giver, okay, then what? Well, we believe in the biblical principle of tithing. Jennifer and I believe this 
because it's been our practice from day one of our marriage. Malachi 3.10, bring the full tithe, which means a tenth, a tenth of our income. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So what happens with the tithe when it comes into this house? Well, first and foremost, starting this year, we sent a first percentage of the tithe to missions. And next year it is our, we are gonna step out in faith, believing that we can do 10% or more of tithe to missions. And I know our finance pastor is here and he's, I step out in faith, he finds the money. But we are, we are believing that we need to practice the principle of tithing with what God brings into the house. Bringing at least 10% to missions. So you're thinking, uh, I wanna be involved in missions. If you give $1 to tithe, a portion of that is going to missions. Then also the tithe supports the pastors and staff. I don't think this is a question in anyone's mind, but just in case, I do not work on commission here. Thank you for the uncomfortable laughter. I, just so you, you would know, what, what I earn here as the pastor of this church is set by the board of deacons. The tithe and offering covers the building and grounds. We want to honor this house as if it is our father's house. And when you come as a guest, I want to thank the fellows who raised their hands for being guests today. When you come to our house, we want you to feel like you are coming into a place where we honor our father where the landscaping is taken care of, where the building is in good condition, where we've taken care and stewarded what God has trusted to us. And thank God for the equipment and technology that we have been entrusted with to advance the work. Then after the tithe comes kingdom builders, over and above, kingdom builders' missions. Psalm 37, verse 21, the wicked borrows but does not pay back. Listen to this. But the righteous, the righteous is generous and gives. So our over and above kingdom builders, this is what goes to build Bible colleges all over the world, to translate study Bibles into languages where there are no study Bibles, media outreach through organizations like our television partner in Ecuador, Uncion, or our filmmaking partner that makes films for, the, for Africa, North Africa and the Islamic world, IMM, International Media Ministries. Project Rescue, which is bringing girls, boys, and women out of sex trafficking. Camp scholarships, because we believe that money should never be a barrier for children and teenagers who need to go to camp. Valor Mentoring, right here in Salem, where those with wisdom and experience pour into the life of those who are growing up, leading them to lead spiritually thriving lives. Hope Pregnancy Center, and University Campus Ministries. I heard this illustration about you know, why we do tithe first and then over and above kingdom builders. Uh, when you get on an airplane, even if you don't travel that much, uh, a lot of us have the habit of when they do the safety demonstration, we just kind of tune that out. But some of us, even though we're not listening to it, we've actually caught over the years some of the things that they say. And what do they tell you what's gonna happen if there's no more oxygen in the cabin? 
remain seated with your seatbelt fastened, an ox a, a panel will open in front of you, and an oxygen mask will fall down. I appreciate when they do this in a video because the people are much calmer than I would be in this moment. Oh, this is normal. I'm just gonna slip my mask on and breathe normally. And then they say, don't worry if the bag will not inflate. I would like the bag to inflate. I think I would have more peace if the bag would inflate. Anyway, the oxygen mask falls down. Don't worry if the bag doesn't inflate. It's okay. But then what do they tell you about the mask if you're sitting with your, sitting with your kids? Put your own, see you are listening. Cynthia, your son is a flight attendant for Delta. He would be so proud. They know, they are listening. Put your own mask on first and then assist those who are seated around you. Why do you do that? Because if you're not breathing, it's difficult to help others who are not breathing. So you put your own mask on first and then you assist others. What a great illustration for understanding the tithe and over and above kingdom builders. The local church is like putting our own mask on first. If we're not healthy, it's really difficult for us to help someone else. If we're not breathing, it's, help for, it's difficult for us to breathe life into others. So we put our own mask on first. We believe in the health of the local church. And because we're locally healthy, that puts us in a position to breathe health into other parts of the world. There's a parallel between responding to global food insecurity and eternal insecurity. In both cases, and really both crises, money alone will not solve the problem. It's entertaining for us who watch this unfold. Uh, whenever someone gives Elon Musk a hard time, he is usually faithful to clap back. Last year, this is before the whole buying Twitter thing all came to pass. Last year, the executive director of the United Nations World Food Program said 2% of Elon Musk's wealth could solve world hunger. And Musk responded, this is so good, if World Food Program can describe on this Twitter thread exactly how $6 billion, that's with a B, $6 billion, if World Food Pro Program can describe exactly how $6 billion will solve world hunger, I will sell Tesla stock right now and do it. Saying, if there's a plan, I will give the money to make it happen. And the statement or the, what we can take away is that we can't just solve the problem by giving the money alone. And there was a testimony in front of Congress actually 50 years ago, but still very true today. Talking about global food shortages, the testimony is that the critical problem is internal transportation. What do you do when the money and even the food gets there? There's great expense of airlifting the food. There's fuel shortages, lack of highways. There are vast areas to be covered in order to reach remote groups of people. We need four-wheel drive trucks, heavy-duty trucks that can carry a large capacity of food. And oh, by the way, even if we have the food and the trucks, we need drivers, we need mechanics, we need operational funds, we need spare parts, we need fuel to get the food to where it needs to go. The point is that there needs to be an infrastructure 
to support the delivery of the food. There also needs to be an infrastructure to support the messengers who bring the message of Jesus Christ. And so all these things we've talked about, Bible colleges, Bible translations, media outreach, project rescue, camp scholarships, mentoring, Hope Pregnancy Center, university outreach, all these things and more, these are the infrastructure. These are trusted partners who have a, a proven track record of doing what they say they're going to do and for making a difference. What is the answer to the world's problems? The 14th Dalai Lama says this, the problems we face today, violent conflicts, destruction of nature, poverty, hunger, and so on are human created problems, which can be resolved through human effort, understanding and the development of a sense of brotherhood and sisterhood. We need to cultivate a universal responsibility for one another and the planet we share. Now there are threads of truth through which the through the words of the Dalai Lama, and I know he's deeply respected when he travels and shows up. But the explanation that people created problems can be solved by people alone comes up short with our understanding of Jesus Christ. The question is really not what is the answer to the world's problems. It's a question of who is the answer to the world's problems. The answer is not a what, it is a who, and the who is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer. And in God's infinite wisdom, he has chosen the church to be the carriers of the message. As followers of Christ, Jesus gives us the commission to be part of the responsibility to those who have not yet heard on this planet. I would ask at this moment that every one of us would reach out into the seat back in front of us and we would pull out one of those little white envelopes as we prepare to give to Kingdom Builders. Now you're thinking I did something online or I don't want to do this. Just please indulge me. Just everyone grab an envelope. I'll explain. We have enough envelopes for everyone, I promise. So hold that envelope and we are asking you to think, what would God have me to do? What would God have us to do today for our Miracle Offering Sunday? Included in that goal number of $1,492,295, our teenagers have pledged $75,000 $75, for Project Rescue. That is included in that number. So we are inviting even teenagers and middle schoolers, middle schoolers, high schoolers to be part of Miracle Offering Sunday today. You can begin to put your name on that and some of us will do something by a check or cash in the envelope. I'll give you instructions in just a second if you're choosing to do it online. You can use the People's Church app, Church Center app. You can also do uh, peopleschurch.com slash give. Okay, we want everyone to have an envelope and in just a minute we're going to invite everybody to come forward and bring their envelopes. In fact, right now I want to invite our pastors and our deacons who are here to hold these baskets. Jennifer and I are inviting you to do this with us. We are desiring to be part of this right alongside you. We want everyone to have an envelope, okay? So on your envelope, some of you, your gift is going into the envelope. If you're doing this online today, we still want you to write your name on there and we want you to just write online. If you do this by the app, put your name on there and write app. If you're looking at the numbers and you're thinking there's no way that I could responsibly be part of this today, write still praying for my miracle offering. 
If you're looking at the numbers and you think there's just no way that it could happen this year, write down on that envelope, praying for next year. If you're a visitor today, it's possible that God brought you here for a reason to be part of this, or just write down visitor, totally okay. And if you're here and you think we're crazy, why are they even doing this? Go ahead and write on the envelope, you people are crazy. And we will take that as a survey response. We want every person to write something on the envelope that they bring forward today. As you're praying through what's gonna go on your envelope, I, I think often when it comes to our personal, Jennifer and myself, our personal kingdom builders, Lord, how, how much of what you have entrusted to us, how much of, a, of that you have, are just simply asking us to be the courier? to be the courier. What I mean by that, if you send something by FedEx, by UPS, or by the postal service, what is the job of those services? They are the courier. You put the envelope in the mail, you give the package to FedEx, to UPS, to DHL. They are the courier, meaning their responsibility is to take what you have given them all the way to the place where you have set the destination. It, is, it should never cross the mind of the postal worker. It should never cross the mind of the FedEx team. It should never cross the mind of those who work for UPS. Oh, this has been given to me. Maybe it's actually not for the people who's on the address here. Maybe this is actually for me. I pray, this is just me, I pray that God would use me as a courier. That there would be money that would show up in expected or unexpected ways, and I would see that, God, you are just asking me to be a courier. I'm not even supposed to think of this money as being for me or my household. This money, you are simply putting it in front of me, and my responsibility is to courier, to bring it from wherever the source is, and to bring it to kingdom builders, to bring it to missions. And you know what happens? Those of us who have lived this way, what we find is that when we're faithful to courier, God will increase the amount he entrusts to us as couriers. And you would actually do this in your own life. If you needed to trust someone to bring a million dollars from point A to point B, you're probably not going to start with a million dollars. But if they, if someone you found to be trustworthy, you gave them $10 and they brought $10. Oh, I can trust them. I'll increase it to 100. I'll increase it to 1,000. And as we demonstrate a faithfulness to courier what God places in our hands for those purposes, we believe that God will increase. And many of us would say that's not just theoretical, it's actual. Okay, last thing before we come forward. If, you're, if you've been here the last several weeks, the fact that we're doing miracle offering today is not a surprise to you because we told you we were gonna do this four weeks ago, and we've talked about it every day leading up to today. When we announced Miracle Offering Sunday, there was a missionary couple, a veteran missionary couple, who was here at People's Church that day. It was their very first time they had ever been at this church. When the missionaries are here, when we talk about generosity, we do not expect them to give. That's not how it's supposed to work. We give so they can go. But this missionary couple, first time they'd ever been at People's Church. They sent a Kingdom Builders miracle offering to the church for $500. 
Pastor Tom, we are still coasting off the memories gathered during our time with you at People's Church. Your Sunday morning message on Kingdom Builders, right on. Enclosed is our check to be part. How amazing is it that the first Kingdom Builders offering would be a seed that would be placed in this offering by a missionary? Thank you for including us. May that be our heart, that we would be grateful to be included in this miracle offering. And they write, we believe in you. We believe in you, People's Church. So I'm gonna invite everyone to stand today. I'm gonna to pray. And when the worship team begins to sing, I'm going to invite you to step out of your row to come and lay your um, miracle offering envelope face down with one of our pastors or deacons if you're up in the balcony today, we have not forgot about you. You can make your way to the staircases that are on the outside and come down here if you're able today. And then when we're done, if you could return to your seats so we can pray over these cards. The first service, they came forward with their envelopes and then they all left. Just please return to your seats for 30 more seconds as we pray and close our offering today. Father, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. And we say thank you for the greatest act of generosity that mankind has ever known. It will never be matched, it will never be surpassed. The greatest act of generosity in all of world history was the reality that you sent your son Jesus Christ. You gave your son Jesus Christ to suffer and to die on the cross. You gave your son Jesus Christ to suffer and die on the cross so that we could have life, the bread of life, the life water. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we know because you are a generous father, a generous heavenly father, that when we respond in generosity, we reflect your heart. Father, we thank you for this miracle offering Sunday. And when we say miracle, we mean, Father, that we believe that you have miraculously, without, without possible explanation other than you, placed funds, placed resources in the hands of the church family so that it could be couriered for this moment. I thank you for every teenager who has developed a heart, cultivated a heart for Project Rescue, that you have given them a stretch goal that together as a youth group, high school and middle school students would bring $75,000 for Project Rescue this year. Thank you for BGMC, our Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge, as they bring offerings for Bible translations. Father, we thank you for this miracle offering moment that your blessing would be upon every gift and every giver as we carry our offering forward today. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We pray that this week's message has been practical, encouraging, and challenging. Let us know if you made a first-time commitment or recommitment to following Christ. Visit peopleschurch.com and click Connect to share your decision with us. There is great value in being a part of a Christ-centered, Bible-teaching faith community. If you are looking for a church home, Pastor Tom Murray invites you to People's Church in Salem. Sunday morning and evening worship services, group Bible studies, relevant engaging activities for kids and youth in safe, secure environments. Watch messages anytime or plan your visit at peopleschurch.com.